And I'm Matt, and this is another episode of the Tentacle Bot Podcast. And uh, before we get started on today, I do want to issue a little bit of a warning on this one. Uh, we are going to be reviewing a, an album that will have some content warning. Uh, some of the song titles are going to contain language. Uh, I know we'd like to try and keep it uh, clean here on the podcast. However, when we're talking about the actual song titles, it's kind of hard for us to get around that. So um, those will be mentioned uh, sporadically throughout the podcast, as well as a variety of trigger warnings. Um, there is going to be trigger warnings for rape, abuse, uh, as well as suicide uh, and stalking on this record. Uh, so we, if that is uh, going to be something that is going to be a personal bother to you, um, we do recommend probably not listening to this one because it is going to be something that we do have to discuss in depth when breaking down this album. So we do wanted to go ahead and let you guys know that and get that out of the way. Um, but with that kind of laid out there, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell us about what we're talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. So the record we're looking at today is Bad Flowers, This Is How the World Ends, which was released September 24th, 2021 via Big Machine Records. And the band uh, Bad Flower is going to be composed of Josh Katz on vocal and guitar. We have Joey Morrow on guitar as well. We have Alex Espiritu on bass. And then Anthony Sinetti on drums. Um, and, you know, you did issue that kind of warning. But let's just kind of dig into first impressions here on the record. And there was a lot to the record during the initial listen that I found myself saying that I could kind of leave this in the background just while I sleep due to the songs being so very low tempo and it almost soothing in a way. Um, I also found a lot of moments where I felt the record was really just cringy in terms of the lyrics. Um, and kind of a side note is Gabe and I had a chance to speak outside the podcast. And after I brought that up, as he had stated um, that I have to know more about the band in that regard. Um, and that's that's exactly quote for quote the message or the that portion. Um, really, since I don't have that context, I'll really let Gabe elaborate on that. Um, really, all my thoughts that I'm going to present here will be pretty much solely based off of my lack of knowledge there. Yeah. So. This album was an exciting release for me. I've been on Bad Flower since shortly after they had uh, gotten signed on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I've i always dug their music. It, it's always been very open, hard on the sleeve, candid kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And th this release is no exception. Um, so they, they continue like the offensively candid nature of the uncomfortable feelings like depression, anxiety, and natural human feelings that don't often get vocalized. And it's done in a fresh way, even for the rock scene. And... and what I wanted to elaborate on is the fact that a lot of their music is done in such a way uh, that it's they're, they're talking about feelings that don't often get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And they talk about them in such a way that it isn't just this poetic thing that gets lost in trying to write the beauty of it. They write these songs in such a way that you know exactly what they're talking about. And regardless of the point of view that they're coming from, it's getting talked about. Right. And we'll get to that a little bit later here uh, in some of these songs. Um, but yeah, like I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way, and I'll, I'll have more to say that. Uh, to say on that afterwards here, but uh, as far as musical impressions, Matt, how are you feeling on this one? So I found a lot of resemblance uh, from this record to the main stylistically. It's hard to really point the band in a specific subgenre. We get some pop punk, we get rock, and even pop elements kind of throughout. There's really good diversity in the record, allowing each song to have their own identity. Um, how about you? What are you thinking? One of the neatest things about this record is that it is an imperfect record. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Bad Flower did all of the recording and production in themselves. And in an interview with AP, Josh did, uh, he talked about how it was really a big growth moment for the members where they're constantly striving for perfection. The, the or who were constantly striving for protection or for, I cannot speak today. It was a really big growth moment for the members who were constantly striving for perfection. This meant minimal planning on the demos, often keeping the first takes of the w- that they had recorded and embracing the imperfections since the band wasn't sure really how to be perfect, whatever that meant to mm-hmm. them. And so instead of just relentlessly pouring over every single song and every little detail and making sure that everything was uh, meticulously perfect, they just said, we're fine with it. Let's yeah. do it. And I, I feel like that's it gives the album character and the songs are have their own extra flavor by not being cookie cutter perfect like most bands would do. And I feel no. like that's a really big growth moment that I don't know that really any artists, many artists ever go through. No, I don't think so either. And so I, I have a huge amount of respect for them after learning that. Yeah, no, that's that's a really cool note. And then um, just for clarification's sake is AP, you're referencing Alternative Press? Yes. Okay, yes. perfect. I not just not to... Associated Press. They don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, lyrically is, this is kind of where you you will start to kind of expose some of the, um, you know, the things that were brought up in the, the warning here at the beginning of the episode, really it's lyrically all over the place and what the songs are about. We've got a first song that talks about a love for someone, uh, through a child's eyes, followed by a song that's about honestly sketchy dudes. We have a song called family, which is kind of heartbreaking in a way, Johnny Wants to Fight is about obviously fighting, but the reason for it is really justified in Johnny's case. Um, Stalker made me cringe the first time I I heard it, and after reading the lyrics, I still hate the song. There's a lot of different things happening lyrically with this within the songs, and it's not just in the content of the songs, but also the the length of um, the length of the lyrics as well as the uh, how it is that the messages are being conveyed. So we're getting a a real variety in what we're kind of kind of seeing and hearing, um, you know, when looking at the lyrics. What are your kind of thoughts on what we got? So, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the the lyrical content is going to be very dichotomizing, and you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. Mm-hmm. But the writing, again, addresses a lot of really uncomfortable situations and feelings of the human psyche, and they're done just less poetic and less eloquent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so it's more along the lines of what's actually going through somebody's head instead of the poetry that acts as a dividing line between actual thought and song. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this album is written um, from the perspective of a villain. Mm-hmm. And so we get uh, instances like, so Family was the first song that was written on this album. And that song was really like the first time when Josh was realizing like he's not really a victim in the piece, he's actually the villain. Mm-hmm. And that kind of began cascading on a lot of other different songs. And so uh, I'll begin pointing that out as we go throughout the album here, but it, it's done a variety of different ways. And I think it's really neat. Okay. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, the the villain perspective is 
definitely made pretty clear and I think I think we'll both be able to kind of point that out through a couple of the songs. So we'll jump right into the artwork review really quick. So we see the band name in red, followed by the album name in gray, uh, line the top of the record. And then we see a photo of the band in front of a blank white wall with Joey, Alex, and Anthony seat, uh, seated in front of the wall while Josh is standing just a little bit f- uh, forward in front of the band. It's a super simple um photo it's just got the band on it it's pretty cut and dry there's not really a whole lot that you can yeah there's not really much to unpack there um it just gives you kind of an impression on what the band looks like Mm -hmm. so we'll go ahead and just move into the track by track breakdown on this album kicking it off with adolescent love uh, this album starts out with a very solemn falsetto morose kind of song. Mm-hmm. It talks about love and adolescence. The and the song honestly feels kind of like part one of uh, setting the tone for the album. With the the second track, "Fuckboy," being part two of what's to be expected. Yeah, and this one I feel like in, in the kind of very morose and um, somber kind of sound of this song is it, it's kind of a more interesting opener than the one in the plot in you, um, just because of how. I think how it's performed by Josh so that it kind of adds a a little bit of an interesting, um, it's very soft in the vocal delivery, fitting the lyrical content really well. Um, And there's not really anything else I've got to say there. So we'll just jump right into the second song titled fuck boy. And the, the tempo really picks up here Mm -hmm. Um, there. It's sounding a lot like a song that you could see played at a party or even live where the beach balls would come out being a very strong contrast from the last song. We're already getting to see a variety of, or a variety that the band is able to provide. Yeah. And as I mentioned, this is part two of kind of what to expect from this Mm -hmm. album and everything in between adolescent love and this one, Um, a bit of, backstory behind the band themselves the band left la before recording this album to move towards the east coast there like in pittsburgh or something like that okay now. um just to kind of get away from it all because la has this just kind of air around it that ha- can be a lot of pressure for an artist yeah and so uh, this song really feels like it's a farewell to california life it's okay. super upbeat and fun. It feels like the band's honestly just having a blast. It's really groovy and kind of shows the newer direction of the band, and I really like this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I can definitely agree with the um, the very up-tempo of mm-hmm. aspect of the song, so it's kind of interesting. And we, we see this a little bit with the different bands is the song's very up-tempo, and you're like, oh, this is cool, and then you actually see what the song's about, and you're like, Oh, this isn't so fun. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's it's like you mentioned uh, earlier in the cast. Like it's about sketchy dudes, and it's it's very much about sketchy it's, dudes. <laughs> it's very clear about that. And the next song we've got is called Family. I hate you so much. So uh, Vin Diesel wants to know your location, Josh, because it sounds like you're turning back on your family. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first single on the record, and I love this song. This is easily my favorite on the record, and. Man, I, I love the emotion and the energy of this song. Yeah, this one, the the guitars for most... The, the cool thing about this song is the guitars for most of the song add an oddly eerie sound, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird considering when you listen to the prior track where it's kind of this like, hey, we're going to a party, and then you get this like slightly spooky vibe. Uh, band kicks everything up a couple notches at the end, uh, making the song almost feel like it's two songs smashed together, which I thought was kind of an interesting little bit to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the when the when So this is the first song that was written for the record, mm-hmm. and Josh said that they kept trying to like write things and copy others, mm-hmm. saying that, well, we could write something like that. 
And in doing so, they just felt like they kept producing just copies of things, and it never mm -hmm. really felt like it matched the band or the air that they were trying to bring. And so with this one here, it was the first like genuine one that they had written. And it's written from the point of view that he's not really the victim, but he's the villain in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And that um, the and as I mentioned before, it's a recurring theme throughout this record. And I think it's really an introspective breakthrough that, again, many artists never really have. Uh, yeah, th this one here, Josh's vocal performance is stellar. It gives all the feels. Love this song. Yeah, no, I, I think he definitely hits it right on the head. Uh, and the next song that actually really seems to provide that villain uh, perspective is Johnny Wants to Fight. And the voicemail at the beginning of this song, I haven't heard a band do that since <laughs> Bless the Fall to put out, hey, baby, here's that song you wanted. Yep. Lyrically, I thought it was actually really cool. And it was kind of cool how it, it showed the progression of events leading to well, Johnny fighting. And I like how it was kind of like, you know, and especially with the, the voicemail at the beginning is it's like, hey, dude, hurt stuff went down. Um, and it's just kind of like, hey, let's go out and just have a good time kind of thing. And then later when uh, Johnny's just like, yo, I'm going to kill you kind of yeah. thing. And it's like the a very different contrast and it just that change in narrative i thought was a, a really nice touch to the song yeah the the vocal phrasing and bouncing josh does throughout this song is really fun um mm -hmm. and it's a it, this was another single i don't remember if this was the second or third one uh it was this one was second or third and then the other one was uh don't hate me which we'll okay. get to here in a bit um but it was another great uh song for them to release as a single on the record to really preview the album uh, that really feels like a continuation of Scotty Doesn't Know by Lustra, which is mm -hmm. basically the same concept about the the vocalist of the song as the home wrecker in that relationship. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what um, Josh is singing as the, the point of view from the villain here. And it's still like it, it's melodically as about a ba as bad flower gets. Mm -hmm. And uh, it still keeps it fresh for their sophomore album. I, I like this song as well. It's kind of fun. This is only their sophomore album? Yes. Yeah. So they, they have released. Uh, an EP and like some singles prior to that were unreleased on albums. Okay. They had OK I'm Sick, which released, I believe, in 2018. Uh, wow. And then this is uh, number two. Well, good for these guys. Yeah, no, for some reason, I felt like they were a band that's been around for a little while longer. So mm -hmm. cool. Following up, we have the song Stalker. Matt's favorite song on the album. <laughs> Gabe, please tell me about the song before I just be sad so the song is definitely a dichotomizing one <laughs> can uh, confirm it is important to know that it is not written from cat's perspective uh so that this song details uh basically kind of just stalking is a very big uh portion of it and kind of like the villains uh, the, um, let me back up here stalkers are villains this is another song that's written from the villain's perspective. Mm -hmm. the, and this is kind of written in such a way that it captures the mindset of a stalker mm -hmm. and how it has like this victimized kind of feel to it. Like, why are you doing this with him when you can be with me? I'm going to just, I have, I'm in love with you, even though you don't really know that I exist. And so it really delves into that side of things. And I, I find that to be a really interesting take on the song. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously the, like this is a really difficult song to talk about <laughs> but um it's very rap heavy mm -hmm. uh like it's not really a rap song it's kind of more like slam poetry that you would find at like a weird uh underground bar kind yeah. of thing 
but it, it takes like a lot of influences from like uh, what Stan was by Eminem. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like the best comparison, even though like this is a rock song that that, that would be the best comparison uh, to really what to be expecting on here. Uh, and, and that was also admitted by uh, by Katz is that Eminem was a big influence on this song, as well as the rest of the lyrical phrasing on the album. The song is fairly heavy. And honestly, I like it. It's super catchy. I know mm-hmm. you hate it, but it's catchy. Yeah, it's so I have a hard time putting a finger on um the instruments and what kind of genre they'd be classified as, but they all kind of jump around and allow the the song to hit very different things throughout the windows robot voice really just, (laughs) it's just that icing on the cake that I just want to throw it out. Like I hated the song the first time I heard it. I hate it every time I've heard it afterwards. The, I have the same thoughts with the lyrical review. Hearing the kind of explanation as to kind of what the the song's supposed to be and how it's, you know, kind of some of the background is it alleviates some of that pressure, but it's just one of those songs that I just kind of look at and it's just like, could you have just not, though? So next up, we're going to move into the next one simply called Everyone's an Asshole. It has a lot of relevance to the modern day. Yeah, it, honestly, like the this song is a really good overview of our current social climate mm-hmm. and is another standout on the album. It probably takes number two for me. Uh, melodically, it's really pretty. It builds really well. Like the the lyrical content, I can't really say too much about it other than the fact that like it matches up really well with like what we've been seeing over the past two years. Mm-hmm. And I, I would encourage anybody to go and read those lyrics to really understand what I'm talking about. There. Yeah. But yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, one, no, you, you pretty much hit the, hit the nail on the head when regards to the lyrics. Uh, it's a nice change from the other, um, from songs like the last one lyrically, but really instrumentally, it doesn't deviate too much. Uh, really the biggest deviation was the solo we get in mm-hmm. this song, which I thought was a nice little touch for them to put in. Yeah. We don't get a lot of solos from bad flowers. So it was kind of a nice little extra flair mm-hmm. that they added. Yeah, for sure. And that's all I've got there. So we'll jump right into She Knows. And I've got a whole, I don't have much to say here. And then I'll pass pass it over to you. But it's a very soft instrumental, which allows Josh to sing very peacefully over the top. And for some reason, this feels very 2003. Yeah, fair enough. I get that. Yeah, this one, it brings it down from the last bunch of tracks. But the song is also really pretty and communicates the story from the POV of the, villains, of, of the villain again. And uh, this time it's being the cheater in a relationship. So we kind of saw being the homewrecker and Johnny wants to fight. Mm-hmm. This is the other side of that, of being the one who is cheating. Uh, I'm not personally a fan of this song. It's just like musically speaking, it just feels slow. It never really feels like it gets there. And it it's lyrically pretty repetitive, which is always a pain point for me in mm-hmm. music. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more on this one. So we'll go ahead and jump into the song Only Love, which uh, this song has a unique recording history, which I really like. Uh, it's really just a bunch of parts that Josh wrote and strung together. And as the song was being recorded, the song was being written. It just kind of like he recorded the vocal phrases here and there and here and there for different parts that he had, found that they were all able to mesh really well together and kind of put them together. Hmm. That's actually really cool. Yeah, this this song, at least in the composition um, and kind of sound, is we sit, it's similar to what we've seen before with the band playing very soft in the beginning. We got to pick up to a higher energy level in the middle and then closing out with a softer sound. This one, 
I don't know really where I'd put this because I almost want to say that I really like this one, but it also feels like middle of the road. Yeah, it's it's definitely middle of the road. It picks up in the latter half of the song and changes kind of like into this old school pop punk song. Yeah. Like, akin to Boys Like Girls or Metro Station. Mm-hmm. So I like the song. It's not really my favorite on the album, but yeah. like, I don't I don't dislike it. Yeah, no, it's just kind of there. The next song, which the song title is my absolute favorite here on the record, is called Sasshole. Absolutely my favorite song title. Um, it is. Go, <laughs> go ahead and um, give me some of your thoughts on this one. The, this song honestly feels like it's straight off a of Royal Bloods record. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like it. The vocal phrasing Josh does in it, again, is super neat, super fresh. Um, lyrically, the song is about fighting the urge to embrace the fame lifestyle and the mental anguish that comes with it. Yeah. And like, I feel like that's pretty just straightforward there. Like, it, It's a fun song. I enjoy listening to it. Yeah. And and you, you hit it right on. The groovy riff opening reminded me of Royal Blood as well, so it already sounds like a party song. Chorus was pretty good, but it also felt like it was almost too full. Um, the electronics yeah. are mixed in for some additional atmosphere, which we really get to see in the verses. You get a little bit of it in the chorus, but it, it just feels like there's a lot happening in the chorus that it, it almost feels a little overwhelming. Um, where like uh, architects, for example, we actually sat down, you know, we got to have a very full chorus, but it never felt overbearing. Um, so Fair it's enough. just uh, something a little bit different. Following up, we do have Don't Hate Me, which I do believe you had said was one of the singles for the record. Um, I believe it was sec- single number two. Okay. And uh, yeah, because I know you, um, it's between that one and... Johnny Wants to Fight. Yes. Yeah. So this song feels the most like a generic radio rock song of anything else on the record. We get the steady tempo. We get a slower verse. Chorus picks it up a bit. The thing that really surprised me was we get a metalcore-esque breakdown in the song, but it wasn't as thick as the metalcore bands really can get those um, breakdowns to be. Yeah. Big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I honestly really like this song. Uh, So it's a song that wrestles with identity crisis and trying to be something you're not for someone else, which always leads to confidence and self-esteem issues. And the the song catalogs that really well. Um, Often folks who identify with the main character in the song can see themselves as a victim, but the band writes this narrative as the main character is the, so the main character in the piece is the villain. Okay. And, um, the using the same kind of language for those people so that they can play the victim. So like at face value, the main character in the song singing the song feels like it's like, what is he doing wrong? Why is she with him instead of mm-hmm. with, uh, or why is she with that other guy instead of with him? And while well, he's doing everything he can to be that other guy for her, why is she still not paying attention? And in reality, like, that's not a victim place like that. That is 100% a villain. Like if somebody mm-hmm. else is happy with somebody, who are you to assume that they're your property to, yeah. to be able to make that change for them so that they appease you in, in some sort of emotional or physical need. And so it, it really catalogs that well. And that, that was something that Josh brought up as well, that it, it's, nobody's place like if they're with it and the, the same thing goes for stalker this is just kind of like on the um the lighter side of things whereas stalking is obviously not only serious but it's also a crime yeah this isn't uh, identity crisis isn't a crime it's just uh, an issue that people deal with too much today and i feel like there's too much of a um apologetic stigma around it instead of 
really recognizing that these people aren't the good guys in the situation. No. And the, I mean, we see this kind of stuff on Reddit all the time. Like the white knights, they're not good to, to, to really identify with. And, and, and so like, I feel like that that's a really big part of this song. Um, as you mentioned, the breakdown of this song is super neat. And I, I, again, I really like this song, even though, like you said, it is the most uh, radio friendly song on the record. Yeah. It's still a lot of fun. Yeah. No. And I, I definitely enjoyed this song as well. Um, even though it did kind of come off as a, a bit of a generic, um, or, or sounded similar to that of a generic radio rock song. Yeah. Then we jump into the song at tethered. Uh, this song is super dark and basically catalogs the story of a, uh, a statutory rape victim. Uh, who then grows up to continue being with her abuser and feeling the identity crisis on this one. Um, it, it's a super dark song. It's written extremely well, and it's really sad. Um, what, do, what are your thoughts on this one, Matt? The, so the kind of interesting thing, and it's, you know, I, I, I'm going to say this sentence, but I'm also going to kind of explain why. Um, but oh, this song canceled. <laughs> no, 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 not, not that. So the song reminded me a lot of something that Ice Nine Kills would write. So for those okay. who are familiar with Ice Nine Kills is a lot of the songs, and especially with the record coming up as well as their past record, is everything is related to horror films. Um, I know there was a song that they had done. I can't remember the song title at this time, but it's uh, based off of Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and then there's just a lot of their stuff is just very much in the kind of dark and spooky sound. And that's just kind of just their imagery. <coughs> Excuse me. It's enough out of so, you. Yeah. So this song was not only like in sound, sounded a lot like Ice Nine Kills, but kind of the pronunciation, the enunciation, and just kind of the storytelling felt a lot like something that maybe Ice Nine Kills would have written um kind of generic in in some ways in composition but there was an addition of ambient guitar and josh's vocals kind of coming in where it had this intent of soaring allowed the song to really kind of take its own identity and and really with the the story of it was very much a, a very dark sad kind of thing yeah and while it's like the stereotypical slow song that would appear on a record like this one takes it in stride and makes the most out of it, mm -hmm. it i feel like they did a really good job on this one and still maintaining respect and bringing additional notice to an issue that still happens far too often yeah no it, it absolutely does and the next song, which in a way is kind of a simil in a similar vein, is called Machine Gun. And uh, composition-wise, it's pretty much exactly as we've seen in earlier parts of the record, so there's nothing special here. I will note that the riffage in the chorus, though simple, is a lot more pronounced than what we've heard throughout the uh, record in terms of the guitars. Lyrically, this one is kind of from the perspective of a uh, 17-year-old child who's been approached to serve their country and is almost um, almost seems like he's being um, peer pressured into trying to serve in the military, um, which unfortunately kind of takes away the ability for somebody to choose if they want to do it or not. So um, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting point. Yeah, th this song is a really good look into American politics and anti-war sentiment that's growing again once 
uh, growing once again since it was first popular uh, back before the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unique position on this song is while most of the songs are written from the point of the villain, this is written from the point of view recognizing you're the villain, uh, despite being told that you're a hero throughout the entire process, in this case, of becoming a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, the song is also kind of like the pseudo title track uh, on the album, uh, with the final chorus having the, the phrase, this is how the world ends. And uh, in an interview Katz did with uh, Alternative Press, uh, he states that the world ending was really the fall of empathy and society, and nothing can be done without a fight or with someone. Nothing can be done without a fight with someone or over something, and we really had a first row seat to that when the pandemic hit and everybody went into lockdown. Like mm-hmm. we just saw it all on social media, just kind of slowly begin devolving. And I feel like this song, uh, kind of similar to how uh, I forget the name of the other song, but like how it was a uh, basically cataloging of our, our current socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. Like th- this song did a really good job of that as well. Yeah, uh, you're. Are you referencing everyone's an asshole? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, no, this, this one was kind of a, a, an interesting one, similar to that song and just kind of just what it's, um, telling. And then the final song of this record, which is just another really dark, um, kind of look into just how kind of, in, in a way some things are, is called my funeral, um, it's very close in style to that of adolescent love feeling like a really good bookend for the record. Mm-hmm. And dude, the lyrical content I feel like took a pretty major left turn, even considering <laughs> what we had already gotten up to this point. Yeah. Th- this is a really like personal song with Josh. Um, my funeral is the fantasy of what's like somebody fantasizing what happens after they were to commit suicide and the negative associations that would happen with everybody around them. And that, the the people that are tied uh, to the situation who want to feel attached to the situation for the attention mm-hmm. that which would really be the villains in this piece though at the end of the song the the narrator of the song recognizes that there's people that are going through terrible and horrible situations trying to survive and that he's sitting here with the privilege of thinking that about what happens when he dies and that it's really like he he's kind of the villainous the uh, like a kind of like a overarching villain yeah. uh, on the song and that he w- with that privilege like he proceeds to end this kind of concept and this ritual of him going over this and I feel like that was well like last week or the, the last episode we talked about in the plot new record where there wasn't really any sort of hope or anything like that these songs a lot of them still had hope and this is mm-hmm. kind of like that book ending on this song where he stops doing this fantasy stops doing this ritual that he's going through of mm-hmm. fantasizing of his own funeral after his own suicide that um, he takes that and decides okay well I need to be better than this because there's people that are trying to fight to survive so why am I who am I to think that fantasizing my own death is going to be any better yeah and I feel like that was a, a good growth moment for the character in the song and i feel like you said that this is a really good book into the record mm-hmm. and I, I think the you kind of talking about the the comparison a little bit for this lyrically compared to the plot in you where the plot in you record felt like it was very much lacking in hope and there where this one is kind of hopeful and you know we're we're starting to see where um you know we've seen it sometimes in um tv shows movies um, books and anything like that is the the kind of switching of 
the the villain character where they may where they may align themselves to be that with the hero um or even if it's not if it's just them not being the major villain is i I think that's kind of a cool narrative thing to see which we don't really get in songs is it's a lot of them seem to be pretty linear Mm -hmm. and or they just kind of just okay, here's what the theme is. We're going to work with this, but it doesn't really have this full narrative that, um, you know, Bad Flower is just presented. So it, it's kind of interesting to see how much this will show up in future songs, um, mm-hmm. whether whether it be from Bad Flower or other bands themselves. But I think we are starting to see a little bit of a change in kind of just composition of lyrical matter as well as songs. So... It'll be interesting to see just kind of how that goes moving forward. And before I get too far on a tangent, what we like to do is we like to rate these uh, albums on a scale of one to eight tentacles. And Gabe, I'm actually more curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Uh, this one probably falls at about a six out of eight for me. Okay. I really like the album. Um, it's not without its faults, but at the same time, like I feel like it wouldn't be the album without those faults. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be something that I obsess relentlessly over. I really like the band. I really like the album. I feel like this is a r- really good. It mm-hmm. just, I don't know that it's quite eight material. Okay. But yeah, uh, every like. Yeah, I, I'm not really going to say much more on that. Like That's it, fair. It was a good album. I feel like the band did a really good job on it, and kudos to them. Yeah. So um, similar to the Plot and You um, record, if you guys had a chance to listen to it, is my exposure to this band is pretty minimal. Um, at least with Plot and You, I've been familiar with the name. Bad Flower is a, a pretty recent introduction for me. Um, I really had no kind of idea what I was coming into with this record. So right now, um, I feel like a four out of eight is kind of where I'm going to comfortably sit here. Um, I did enjoy the instrumentals quite a bit. Um, Josh's voice was really solid. There was a lot of really good things uh, in the instrumentals, but I think unfortunately there were just the songs um, and, and some of their lyrical content that just was cringy enough that i just stalker, stalker. Oh my god no <laughs> like and here's the problem is i can't seem to get that song out of my head because it's just it's a not the the melody is, is just catchy. stupid catchy and i hate it um it, it's just unfortunately the the cringiness of that song um along with uh one or two of the other ones is, is just enough to really push the score down it, it may I'm, I'm feeling kind of lukewarm it may just be i i need some time to kind of um for it to grow on me like i've had some of the other stuff that i've kind of listened back to and said okay i actually enjoy this a little bit more but um i think a four out of eight is pretty much going to be where i comfortably sit on this fair enough but that is going to do it for our review of this is how the world ends by bad flower mm-hmm. and now what we're going to go ahead and do is jump into the hidden track in which we discuss mm-hmm. something Outside of this album, uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and start us off real quick before we finish up here? We have new Whitechapel. We do have new Whitechapel. So they just dropped their song called A Blood Soaked Symphony, um, and they do have a music video associated with it with a whole lot of fake blood. <laughs> I, um, I haven't seen the video. Is it more fake blood than Slaughter to Prevail uses? Uh, Probably. Ooh, wow. That's Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um. But so even after a couple of listens, as I'm not sure exactly where I'm at with this song, um, one of the biggest notes is the breakdown on mm-hmm. this song is just thick. It's 
I think it's it's extremely sludgy, and I think it hits a little bit. It just hits very different compared to a lot of the other breakdowns that Whitechapel's put out over the years. Um, for example, this is Exile's breakdown is a very very different, um, very different style of breakdown. So between this song and Lost Boy, is I'm having a hard time kind of determining what my thoughts are on the material at this time. After the absolute banger of a record that was the Valley, that is it's a really high bar that I've set for the band, and it's going to be a really hard bar to hit and. I, I'm sitting at a point where I'm worried that I'm going to be let down. So I'm, I'm just kind of trying to every once in a while, just occasionally visit the song, kind of see, see what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, mine this week is super short and super sweet. A few weeks ago, we didn't put out a second album or a second uh, episode for this month. Cause I was really sick, but uh, the album that we were supposed to do, is God is Partying by Andrew WK. <laughs> that album was garbage. And so I sent Matt a message and I said, hey, let's not do this because I don't feel well and this album sucks. So we didn't do it. And so that's uh, that's it. The album sucks. Don't listen to it unless you really want to just like feel like you're going to have a bad time. But that is going to do it for us today. So... <laughs> Uh, we that do was awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even joking. Like I hate that album. Like I, if it ever comes across my feet again, I'm gonna be irritated. Uh, but that is gonna do it for us today. Uh, we do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and check us out. We do appreciate if you would like, rate, and subscribe on, to us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts listened to at. We're also on a variety of social medias. You can find us at Facebook, at Instagram, YouTube, and not Twitter. TikTok? Other, TikTok, there it hey. is. At Tentacle Bop, even though we don't do anything on YouTube and TikTok yet. <laughs> Not yet, but guess what? That could change soon. Hopefully we'll change soon. Yeah. yeah, if you guys give us a follow in there, we would really appreciate that. And in the meantime, we will see you later. Catch you in the next one. <laughs>